A thrill of hope. 
Christmas. Yes. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Who's looking forward to the new year? Yes. Who's ready to put this one behind? 
Oh, okay. All right. I'm, I kind of am too, but there's, there were some bright points in there. Well, listen, tonight we are going to finish our Advent series. We've been doing this now for the past three weeks. This will be the fourth one. And um, in our Advent series, we've been, we've been looking at different things that, that kind of cause us to maybe think about, meditate, pray about what this season means and what the birth of Jesus means. And so tonight, we are going to ask the question, is there room for Jesus? And I want to start off by reading a passage from Luke chapter 2. But before we kind of get into this, many of you may already know the story, but in case some of you don't, Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus, they, there, was a, there was a census being called. The Roman emperor called a census. And so Joseph had to go to his, what they call his ancestral town, his hometown, to, to report. And so he was from Bethlehem. And so they had to travel all the way to Bethlehem to do this. And of course, people were traveling all over the place to take care of the census. And as you might have heard, there was no room for Jesus there uh, because people were really filling up all the hotels and stuff. And so that's kind of where we'll pick up the story here. Um, And in Luke chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So that last sentence, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. There was no room at all. There was no room for the family. There was no room for Jesus. All that was available was a manger. The Savior of the world was about to be born and all that was available was a barn and a manger. His first experience in the world was lowly, and some of us these days might use the word unsanitary. The word manger comes from the Latin word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because some of you probably speak Latin, but the Latin word, okay, well, munducare, munducare, something like that which means to eat. The Hebrew meaning of the word means trough or booth. And so the very first place where Jesus was laid, the Savior of the world, was a place where the animals ate out of or slept in. That's where he was put. And if you Google manger, you'll come up, you'll see these pictures. They're just little concrete, stone. You fill them with water. You fill them with food. That's where he laid, his very first place place after he was born here on this earth. So think about this. The Son of God, God himself, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who had been anticipated for thousands of years. People had been waiting for him to come. Prophesied about. The very first prophecy of Jesus is in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sinned. And God spoke directly to Satan and told him, there will be someone 
who you and him will have great hatred towards each other. You will strike his heel and he will crush your head. That was the first prophecy of Jesus. Then there's many prophets throughout in the Old Testament that prophesied about Jesus. There were people who studied these scriptures so that they could find out and look for when the time would be that this Savior of the world, this Messiah would come in the form of a man to take away the sins of mankind. People that weren't even God-fearing men, like the Magi, the three wise men. They were kings. They, were, they, they weren't religious in, in the means of the Jewish religion at the time. But they had read about this star that would be shown in the sky. And when it appeared, they realized it. And so they traveled far away to go visit Jesus. By the time they got there, he was around two years old. But there was no room available for him to arrive with any type of dignity. The Son of God. The arrival of Jesus, I mean, think about this. Think about this. He was laid in a trough. He's the King of Kings. He's the Son of God. There was no fanfare. There was no big announcement as far as like human but yet, the world's history it, timeline is split at his birth. Not just in America, but around the world. Ever since Jesus was born, we split the timeline from B.C. to A.D. The zero is when he was born. But yet, there was no proper place for him to arrive in. See, when you don't know what God is up to in your life, when you're praying and you're looking for an answer, when you don't think God is there, when everything around you is crumbling, when it's so chaotic and you're wondering where God is, why God isn't answering my prayers, can't you just get me out of this? Give some thought to how his own son arrived into the world to reveal to mankind the love that he had for them. See, God is there. He's always there to see us through everything that we will ever face. And so we're going to look at some parallels tonight that we can make with the arrival of Jesus and our own lives See, before we were even born, the Bible speaks of this in, in several different passages. God even says, for each of us, I knew you before you were conceived. I, my, I had plans for you. Your life I had mapped out for you. But it is up to you to decide whether or not you want to walk those plans out. God has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. And often he lays that out for us. We have some kind of an idea. We don't have the whole thing laid out, but we have an idea. And when we follow his lead, we can figure that out with him as time goes by. But sometimes our own agenda gets in the way. We have our own ideas. We have our own things that we want to do. And sometimes we veer way off course. But often... 
Jesus shows up in our lives and we don't even see him. We can't see past the plans that we have for ourselves to realize that he is trying to lay out a much better plan for us, a plan that is full of blessings and success, a plan that the creator of the world thought of before we were even conceived. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says this, God has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. I landed on that a few months ago, and it just, it, 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 it sank into my heart. Because even for my life, I don't know what God has done, is doing from beginning to end. And that's where the adventure is. That's also where the tension of being a follower of Jesus is. There's tension in that, but it's a good tension if you look at it as an adventure with your creator. Like we have one foot in the supernatural world and one foot in the natural world, but yet we don't always know what God has for us around the corner or over the next hill. But what we do know, according to this verse, is that we all have eternity planted in our hearts. We all have the idea of something more than what the world has to offer. That's why people search and search and search and search for something better than what's in this world right now. There has to be something better. We were all created to have God's Holy Spirit living in our hearts, living within us. We were all created by God to have a friendship with God. And until we understand this, life sometimes doesn't make sense. It gets confusing. It gets chaotic. It gets to us, being, us doing it all on our own. And often what happens is there is no room in our hearts for Jesus. Instead, our hearts become filled with other ideas, other interests, other values, other loves, other commitments, other things that we want to do. We crowd what was made to be filled by Jesus with other things as life goes on. And when this happens, we don't have any room for the gifts that God wants to pour into our lives. Look around you all the time, the sun, the moon, the stars, nature, plant life, animal life, sea life, the oceans, all of it. None of it was by chance, and none of it just floats through space and time, figuring things out and growing and dying and, and the cycle of life with the animal kingdom and all of that. There is a plan and a purpose for that because it was designed by God. Man-made science is always catching up to where God has already been. But it's the same thing with us. He created each one of us for a specific purpose as well. Sometimes we go through half our life without figuring it out. Sometimes we get it figured out early on in life. 
Sometimes we don't find it until the very end of life. But at some point in time, we want to find it. We want to figure it out. We want to see what that specific plan and purpose is for us. Because I can tell you this, God is never done with us. From the beginning to the end, that dash from the beginning to the end, our birth and our death, God is never done with us. He has a purpose for us. He wants the very best for our relationships, for our careers, for our finances, all of it. God wants to see that we have the best there is in life. But there's this one simple thing in order to have the best. And a lot of people miss out on this. That one simple thing. We must make room for Jesus. For a lot of people, our hearts are like our garages. Too full for what its original intentions was for. <laughs> See, some of you know. How many of you have to park your car in the weather this past couple days because you couldn't get it in the garage? See, we don't have a garage. We have a basement, but, you know, it's a storage. But isn't it true? The purpose for a garage is so you can park your car in there, but far too often we crowd it with all kinds of stuff. See, Jesus described this type of person in the Gospel of Mark in uh, chapter 4. And, and I have the verse on the screen, but I'm just going to kind of paraphrase a little bit of it. Chapter 4, verse 19. And he was talking in this story about four different ways that people receive the, God, the Word of God and how, how they respond to it. And in this one particular way, he said this. This, these are my words right here. The message of God's kingdom. Those are my words. When the, when the message comes out, when people hear the things of God, it is quickly crowded out by the worries of this world, the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. Or maybe it's not what Jesus is describing here that leaves no room for him in our hearts. It could be the question of, why do I need a savior? Why do I need a savior? I mean, after all, I'm a good person. I live by a good set of moral codes. I treat others right. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I work hard. I take care of my family. Why do I need a savior? And all of those things may be very true. You could be a very, very, very good person ethically and morally better than everybody around you. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter how good a person is. It will never be good enough to get to heaven without putting our trust in Jesus. That's the thing. I want to read a passage from the book of Romans, chapter 3. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. And uh, a couple verses here. Chapter 3, verse 22, and it says this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. 
For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Sometimes passages like this, they, they don't always make sense until we, if we don't realize that we need a Savior. Like, for instance, we are under the penalty of our sinful nature. What does that mean? Why am I, why am, why am I under the penalty of something? Until we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are under the penalty of sin. And, and the truth is, when doing life on our own, in our own wisdom, we only get so far until we realize maybe something isn't the way it needs to be. And sometimes we start to wander and we start to maybe stray and things begin to go a little askew. See, when, when prophesying about the sin of mankind and how Jesus would take away our sins, would take our sins upon himself so that we could have eternal life in heaven, eternal salvation, the prophet Isaiah had this to say about people and what Jesus did for us on the cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, he said this, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Being under the penalty of our sinful nature. What does that mean by I've strayed from God's path? Why the need for a savior? And this savior taking the sins of mankind upon himself so that when we put our faith in him, we are no longer under the penalty of sin. What does that really mean? Because oftentimes that sounds a bit foolish. It doesn't sound like, it just sounds foolish, right? It doesn't make sense. But, but maybe I want to read another passage in, in 1 Corinthians, and hopefully this will kind of put some, some of this into context. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God as the scriptures say, and this is the Apostle Paul quoting from Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. So Paul's even saying, listen, I know that what I'm saying sounds foolish to you, but just hear me out. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs for, from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. 
But to those who called, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, everyone, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's, weak, God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strengths. And all of this started with a baby in a manger. How many people do you know think it's foolish to believe in a virgin birth? How many people do you know think it's foolish to believe in Jesus, someone who will save me from my sinful nature? How many people think it's foolish to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus in order for us to have eternal heaven, eternal life in heaven. I mean, it's kind of foolish. It's weird to think of it, right? Like angels coming and visiting a young lady, saying she's going to be, she's going to carry a child, he's going to save the world. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. He says, you will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Then she goes and visits family and comes back to her fiancé and she says, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he has to believe her. And he doesn't. And so he's thinking, I'm, I'm going to, with, with all due respect, the whole town knows about this now. I'm going to break this engagement off. And then an angel comes and visits him and says, hey, she's telling you the truth. I mean... Explain, try to explain that to your friends that really don't know much about the Bible. It sounds a little foolish, right? And then these three wise men saw this star, and that's the story. But it's the truth. It's how it all went down. That's God's plan for mankind. See, this... This foolish plan of God's is wiser than the, wi than, than the wisest of human plans. And think about it. We, we, there are some pretty intelligent human beings that have walked this earth, some in this room. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strengths. You see, the reason we need to make room for Jesus is so that we can get to know our Creator because He wants nothing more than to get to know us. Yes, he already knows us, but he wants to really get to know us. And when that happens, we have a place in heaven secured for us. In heaven. Listen, here's the thing. And, and, and some of you might be like, yeah, heaven and hell, whatever, I'll figure it out when I get there. But heaven is perfection. You don't, actually, you don't want to figure it out when you get there. You want to get this figured out before you, you get there. Heaven is the perfect environment. There are many, many passages in scriptures that describe heaven for us. But there's one in the book of Revelation where it says there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness. We will have perfected bodies. You got a bad back, your hearing's going out, your sight's going Things are, you know, falling apart. All that's going to be made new in heaven. 
Our minds cannot fathom what God has prepared for us in heaven. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he says, and again, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. If heaven was open to everyone, okay, whether you put your trust in Jesus or not, right? Because there's, a, there's this misconception that good people will go to heaven. I'm telling you, Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. Paraphrase, no one gets to heaven without putting their trust in me. If it was open to everyone, then it would be no different than living here on earth. It wouldn't be any different. It wouldn't be anything for, for followers of Jesus to strive for, to put their hope in, to when, when, when times are as, as bad as as bad as as bad as they can get, sometimes the single most thread of hope we have is the thought of heaven. If all of us could go there, it wouldn't be any different than here on earth. And so for the, plan, for, for the plans God has for us to be made available to us, he sent his son to earth in the form of a baby, born in a manger to reveal to the world the love that God has for them, for us. And apart from Jesus, Christmas is all about what? Gifts. Some of us are really excited to receive them. Some of us are really excited to give them. Some of us are stressed out because we didn't have the money we wanted. Some of us are stressed out because we spent too much money. Some of us are stressed out because we couldn't get out because of the weather. Going to have to wait. But it's about gifts, right? Apart from Jesus, Christmas is centered around this gift-giving thing. Well, listen to this. Shortly before Jesus was about to be crucified, he knew that his time was coming up. He knew that the plans God had for him before he was even conceived were playing out. He left a gift for the disciples. Did you know that? He left a gift for them. A gift that cannot be found anywhere else. He said this in the Gospel of John chapter 14, and, and I read from the New Living Translation. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so do not be troubled or afraid. Later on in John chapter 16, where he's, he's still in this conversation, he says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He's speaking to his disciples, but he's speaking to us when we read his word. There's a gift that we get from Jesus when we put our faith in him, our trust in him. It's peace. And notice he didn't just say peace of mind. He said peace of heart. When you have peace in your heart, that's solid, that's stable, that's grounded. And that same gift of peace is available for us as well. And in that peace, we know that no matter how chaotic life gets, Jesus has everything under control. 
He has overcome every situation we will face. And the moment we allow room for him in our hearts, in our lives, he will always be there. Even when we don't sense him, he is there. And just like Joseph and Mary, knocking at the door of the inn for a place to stay, Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts, looking for a place to stay. In Revelation chapter 3, he says this. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts. And if you let him in, he says we'll share a meal together as friends. In other words, we will go through life together as friends. You see, he is the king of kings. He is the creator of everything we can see, touch, and feel out there in the world. And he wants to be our friend. He is a friend. He is a king. He is a creator who serves his friends. And he will never stop knocking. He will never stop waiting for an invite to see if there is room for him in our lives. Never. It's as easy as opening the door and letting him in. And from that point on, you and Jesus are friends. It's not this religious relationship type of thing. It's friends. And so I'll end with this question, and we'll kind of slide into some ministry time here. The question is this, is there room for Jesus in your life this Christmas Eve? And I want to take a minute and just kind of pray about that. And, and, and when we pray, I just want to ask you to close your eyes. Let's just pray right now, close our eyes. Lord Jesus, I just pray that your presence, Lord God, would flow through this room right now that we would literally feel the knocking of you at our hearts. And in just a minute, if you sense that knocking, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just so I can see where you're at. And I'll pray for you. And that's as simple as it is. Or maybe you have a relationship with Jesus and you, and you good for you. Amen. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus and you've kind of fallen off track and you're like, you know, I... I've, I filled my garage <laughs> with too much stuff and I need room for Jesus. You know, if that speaks to you as well. So, so if any of those two, you know, if you feel Jesus knocking at your heart right now, can, can you raise your hand? Can I see where you're at? Is that one in the back? Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just feel Jesus knocking at your heart. Amen. Good for you, brother. Anybody else? Yeah. Amen. Listen, those of you that raise your hands, that, that, that is the best gift that you could ever ask for. Anybody else? Yeah. 
Amen. Well, listen, for those of you that raised your hands, let's just say this simple prayer together, all of us. Lord Jesus, thank you for getting my attention today, this Christmas Eve, 2022. I want to invite you into my life. I want to make room for you. I'm glad that we are now friends. I want to ask that you would forgive me of all my sins and be with me from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen.
All is bright round yon virgin mother and child. Holy infant so tender.